0: What's up, New York? You're listening to the Empire State Conservative Network Podcast. Hey guys, this next segment is brought to you by the Blackhawk Group. Blackhawk Group offers an unparalleled customer support service combined with top-level classroom installations and equipment servicing. They have years' worth of experience in this field, experience that is unmatched by competitors anywhere. Learn more about Blackhawk Group at www.blackhawkgroupllc.net.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to our latest episode of the Empire State Conservative Network podcast. This is Pete. And first, I hope you had a great weekend. If you're new to the show, welcome. This show is for New York-based conservatives who are tired of how the state's being run. They're also tired of being mistreated by friends, family, co-workers, pretty much anybody who you come across who's uneducated about politics and thinks that because you think differently than them, a.k.a. you're not a liberal, that you're a bad person. So we formed this online community, and this media platform right before the November midterm elections. I know we came around a little too late for that. A lot of people, when they join the group on Facebook, what you can do by simply typing in Empire State Conservatives in the search bar, you'll find our group, just like it, and there, you're good. But, um, you know, we, we, we started this up because, you know, it's three of us that founded this, myself, Evan, and Justin, we're the same age, we're all 30 years old, We're all New Yorkers, and we've lived here our entire lives, and we're tired of being uh, ashamed, or not really ashamed, but shunned for who we are, for what we believe in, especially when the alternatives have never, in the history of humanity, whether we're talking about present, not too long ago, or the distant past, yielded good results. So, We're here to make change here in New York. It's going to start in 2020, and we're going to continue to push this forward. Like Evan pointed out on our last episode this past Friday, we are not going anywhere, especially after the travesty that was last week in the form of the DREAM Act and the Reproductive Health Act both passing through the state Senate. Obviously, Governor Cuomo was holding the state budget hostage unless the Reproductive Health Act passed. Clearly, he got his way. Therefore, he's going to sign it into law. It's only a matter of time. And speaking of legislation coming up that is not in our best interests, we have a couple of gun gun laws coming up, uh, one of which is New York State Assembly Bill A-1724. It was introduced on January 16th of this year. Right now it's in committee. And the section of the bill that I've highlighted that is a bit of an issue is that it's it's going over the amount of ammunition one can buy if they own a quote-unquote assault weapon. I'm going to go into what they define as an assault weapon in just a sec second. But the section of the bill that is in question, it says, you know, any normal gun owner who does not own an assault weapon, I'm using air quotes for those of you who are just listening, can continue to do business or purchase as they see fit. Provided, and this is now the quote from the bill, provided, however, the sale of ammunition for assault weapons as defined by subdivision 22 of section 265 of this title shall be limited to two times the capacity of an authorized weapon over 120 day period. So basically, depending on how many bullets your quote unquote assault weapon takes, you can only buy about two times the amount that you would need to fully load the weapon in a hundred twenty-day period. Obviously, if you do any type of range practice or target practice, even if you own land, you live in central upstate New York, you own land, and you're just doing some shooting in your backyard or on your property. That's obviously kind of restrictive. <laughs> you know, and you know and let's get into though what an assault weapon means based upon this. So I looked this up because obviously Assault weapon doesn't really mean very much, so according to New York State Law, an assault weapon means that it's a semi-automatic rifle that has an ability to accept a detachable magazine and has at least one of the following characteristics. A folding or telescoping stock. A pistol grip that protrudes conspicuously beneath the action of the weapon. A thumbhole stock. A second hand grip or protruding grip that can be held by the non-trigger hand. A bayonet mount. A flash suppressor, muzzle brake, muzzle compensator, or threaded barrel designed to accommodate a flash suppressor, muzzle brake, or muzzle compensator. A grenade launcher, or semi-automatic shotgun that has at least one of the following characteristics. A folding or telescoping stock, a thumbhole stock, a second hand grip, so pretty much just keeps repeating itself and repeating itself and repeating itself. So, a lot of weapons that we can legally acquire that were not under question are now huge issues here in New York State and you're gonna have some issue depending on the weapon that you own buying enough ammunition to really use it so obviously like with any skill whether you do it for hunting or in sport or you're doing it to protect yourself you obviously want to stay competent you know it's not just like riding a bike right you have to practice in order to maintain good aim. And if you're not able to go to a range or do targets in your backyard or on a piece of land that you own or that you're welcome to, then you can get rusty. And then when you actually need the weapon, especially if you have it for home defense, that's a bit of an issue. So why are they doing this? This is a, well, it's not really slow anymore. As we talked about last week, the progressives in the state, and I use that term very, very loosely, the progressives, they're looking to continue to restrict and infringe upon our Second Amendment rights. The DREAM Act passed last term. It made 4 million gun owners in New York State criminals overnight. And they're just pushing more and more gun legislation to make it more and more difficult to be a gun owner in New York State. We've talked about the migration issues and the out-migration issues more specifically, how we lost 84,000 people last year alone in New York State more than who came in. So we're losing more and more people. There's fewer and fewer opportunities outside of New York City. And if you want to, and even if you're able to get a job or open a business in New York City, between all the red tape, the regulations, the hidden taxes, and the extremely high cost of living, it's going to be very difficult to thrive in this state. More people are leaving than ever. California is having the same problem on the West Coast. And we're in dire straits, and you see more and more people in our group all the time talking about why they want to leave the state. And now, more of our rights are being infringed upon, especially Second Amendment right. This is the very second right that was given to us by the Founding Fathers after freedom of speech in the First Amendment. So clearly, not a good thing, and because just about every weapon can be deemed semi-automatic, they're really, uh, they're really cracking down here, so it's going to be more and more difficult to acquire ammunition. And if you think that this isn't going to pass, think again. The Reproductive Health Act and the DREAM Act passed last week. In my opinion, those were definitely more moral pieces of legislation than that. And they pushed that across real easy and real quick. The same exact thing is going to happen here. No matter where you live, who represents your district, they're not going to be able to outvote the huge supermajority that the Democrats have in the state Senate This is going to pass, unfortunately. Right now, it's in committee. We still have some time. So my advice to you, if you're a gun owner and your gun or guns are considered assault weapons, according to the definition that I just laid out, I suggest you stock up now before this gets passed into law. Another gun law in New York State that's a bit of an issue, uh, and I saw this um, last week on News 12, was introduced by State Senator Todd Kaminsky. And he introduced a bill because he said that he couldn't stand by after hearing the horror of mass shootings. Now, I hate, I absolutely hate when uh, when politicians do this. If you don't, If you recall last year during the Parkland shootings, one of the victims of the shooting was a teacher at the Parkland High School. And he was actually, he grew up here on Long Island, he moved down there, and he was a teacher down there. And he actually threw himself in front of some students who were being shot at by the perpetrator of the crime. Obviously a very heroic and unfortunately the last act of his life. And his mother has been going on tour here in the state to push across this other gun legislation bill that they're looking to pass And she did a speech last week, towards the end of last week, talking about how she's doing this and helping to push this bill across in honor of her son because New York is her home, and she wants to make sure that mass shootings... And the one that took her son's life doesn't happen out here. It's all an emotional plea and gets a lot of uninformed and empathetic people on board with their policy without really thinking things too clearly through. Like we talked about just before with the ammunition issue. it infringes upon your Second Amendment rights, and even if it doesn't directly take your gun away and makes having a gun in this state much, much more difficult and owning your skills and continuing to practice utilizing your firearms that much more difficult. So let's get into the specifics of this bill, shall we? So um, first off, a stupid quote from Ted Kaminsky. Uh, Todd Kaminsky, excuse me, when I saw that the response was to armed teachers, I just thought that that was crazy and dangerous and takes our focus off where it needs to be, which is taking dangerous weapons out of the hands of dangerous people. So that was a quote taken from the article that I found about this. And basically what he's referring to is that if you recall, also after the Parkland shootings, President Trump said that it might not be a bad idea to start allowing teachers who have the training and a license to carry their gun to be able to bring their gun to school. And Larry Sharp talked about this when he was doing his national tour on the Joe Rogan podcast and the Dave Rubin, or the Rubin Report, excuse me, and all these other things. And it makes a lot of sense because if you think about it, Parkland, the Parkland High School and all these other schools where these things happen, they're gun-free zones. Meaning nobody on the campus outside of maybe a security officer or two has a gun. Usually, they're stationed at certain points of the building, and the assailant knows exactly where they are, so they know, okay, if I can take these guys out, then it's easy pickings. It's really, really simple. And so, a gun-free zone does not deter a mass murderer or psychopath who has the intent of doing a mass shooting from doing it. In fact, it incentivizes them. So, the idea behind President Trump's comments, Larry Sharp's comments on the topic, is that basically... All that this does is that by giving teachers, faculty, staff uh, who are trained and are licensed to carry a firearm to be able to bring it to school, a shooter doesn't know who has a gun unless he or she, often a he, goes around the school and surveils, okay, this teacher has a gun, that secretary has a gun, blah, 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 blah then they have no idea who has a gun. And therefore, they know that their chances of doing a ton of damage are much slimmer because if people all over the building, randomly assorted, have guns, then if they hear firing, they can go towards the problem and try and and, uh, dissolve the situation before it escalates to a point like Parkland or some some of these other mass shootings that have occurred at schools. So this legislation that they're trying to introduce would discuss banning bump stocks, which President Trump uh, enforced at the end of last year, a ban on arming teachers with weapons, which we just discussed, and a red flag provision, which will allow for a judge to block a person deemed dangerous from having a gun. Bump stocks allow semiotic weapons to fire continuously, which I'm sure most of you know. The vote is going to take place tomorrow, Tuesday January twenty second, two thousand nineteen. So let's break this down one by one. You know, I talked a little bit about the ban, the banning of uh, arming teachers, and we probably don't have to get too much more into that. But with bump stocks, again, President Trump is against them. You know, in fact, he banned them towards the end of last year at the federal level. So it's only to be suspected that a blue state like our own would follow suit and do the same especially after passing something like the safe act where they want to continue to infringe on our second amendment rights making it harder and harder for you to either acquire a firearm and a permit whether it's to carry um, or a license if you live in new york city or in generally speaking now to get ammunition they're going to make it harder and harder for you to own a gun This is just an infringement on our rights, and honestly, this doesn't tackle the problem. And this is the problem. This is another one of those feel-good, band-aid pieces of legislation that Evan and I have been talking about the last couple of weeks. Where, yes, technically, you take away all bump stocks, and if an assailant cannot get his hands on a gun that will enable them to attach a bump stock, then they would probably do less damage than if they had a bump stock. That is probably true but the problem is again criminals will always find a way if through legal means they cannot acquire a weapon that fires through a bump stock or other means they will find a weapon on the black market that has one if there's a will there's a way especially with sick twisted individuals who want to do harm to others this is going to do absolutely nothing but infringe on our rights and not address the issue which is mental health and trying to do something. Now, there's one good thing about this provision. We talked about the the banning on the arming of teachers, and again, this was misconstrued, and I've heard from teachers about this. This was misconstrued as all teachers have to learn how to fire a, a weapon, and they all have to bring guns to school. That's not what it is at all. Again, If they're licensed, if they want to, they will have the opportunity to do that so that they can defend themselves and their students and any other students in the building, in the school who may be under duress. Because let's face it, you look at what happened at the Parkland shooting. There were cops stationed outside who did nothing. They did not go in. They just let this kid run wild. It was an absolute abomination from law enforcement down there. The only good thing about this bill, though, that I will say, and unless you can correct me if I'm wrong, leave your comment in the comments below, is the red flag provision. So the red flag provision is the only aspect that makes sense. Too many of these mass shooters acquire their weapons legally, like the guy in Parkland and some of the other people before that. And they had been flagged. This kid had been called on three dozen times, the one in Parkland. But because law enforcement, the local, state, and federal levels, they had these stupid, stupid local laws where this was not put on his record just because the FBI and local law enforcement was called on him him three dozen times for beating up people that he was living with and doing all this other shady stuff. He was not red-flagged, and therefore he was able to just walk into a store and purchase a firearm legally and use it. And so... He was able to do that legally through the proper channels. So a red flag provision makes sense. They should not give kids or anybody any time off from this if they're going to be culpable for doing something like this. If you have a violent history, you should be red flagged. If you have domestic violence, battery, assault on your record, you should be red flagged. If you, the cops have been called on you for any reason linked to any sort of violent act, You should be red flagged. Doesn't matter if you're 15 or you're 80. It doesn't matter. You should be red flagged, and that should come up in a background check so that when you're trying to acquire a firearm, it's not sold to you. Or you have to go through a longer background verification process to ensure that you're not going to be a threat. Now, it's not going to be 100% foolproof. Again, criminals, whether they go through legal route or they go through the black market, when there's a will, there's a way. But at the end of the day, I think this is a good thing because there have been some mass shootings that may have been prevented or at least alleviated. Have law enforcement done its job when they were called on people and had they been had these kids or these people who had perpetrated these heinous acts been red flagged. And those red flags had come up when they went to purchase the firearms that they inevitably carried these acts out with. So. Not good news for us here in New York. Our Second Amendment rights are going to be infringed upon. And it's only due to the fact that our state governor, our state senators, they want to take our rights away. They want to create the welfare state that we've talked about. Jeff Moore had a great piece called The Godfather of New York about Andrew Cuomo. Going into detail about how he rose to power and what he's done and what he's looking to accomplish. It's a great week. You check it out on our website at EmpireStateConservativeNetwork.com.
0: This next segment is brought to you by Items for All Occasions. Items for All Occasions specializes in helping you sync up with what you need for your event's promotional needs. Whether it's announcements, cards, giveaways, invitations, tchotchkes, or video books, they have you covered. Learn more about Items for All Occasions at www.itemsforalloccasions.com.
1: So that's something to watch out for and I want you to be aware of. It was brought up to somebody in our mailbag because this is another piece of legislation that's kind of quietly going through the cracks because obviously there's emotional outbursts on both sides regarding the Reproductive Health Act and immigration is a much more hot-button topic today and that's why the DREAM Act, which will give illegal immigrants access to state and federal funding for college, healthcare, and other means is a slap in the face to hardworking New Yorkers who put a lot of money into the system in the form of taxes and they get nothing in return while people who come here breaking our laws right off the bat and they don't put anything into the system get all the benefits. And it's just a means of buying votes. It's very easy to see through all this bull crap if you just think about it for half a second and you follow the money and you you ask yourself, why are these people doing this at the detriment to their constituents and their own citizens? It's because they're buying votes. It's because the American people are waking up to them. And obviously, you're seeing voter fraud issues in Texas, where there's numbers all over the place. It's between the tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of illegals have voted in state elections since the late 90s. Obviously, not a good situation down there. And the same thing is being done all over the country. Unfortunately, we are a hub and a hotbed for illegals. We are a hub and a hotbed for progressives, again, using air quotes if you're listening. And they're going to try and infringe upon our rights and take as much power away from us, the people, as they can. So I wanted to make you guys aware of that. And now we're going to get into some mailbag questions. So guys, if you're not a mailbag member, basically what that is, is you're a monthly donor to us. You're paying us $5 a month or $50 for the entire year. $5 a month gets you one of these Don't Let Fear Take Your Freedom wristbands. I'm wearing two because I lost one and found it later on and replaced it. Uh, You get also daily access. Monday through Friday, we're going to be doing shows for you now. Every day of the week. So Monday through Friday, every morning you're going to get an email asking you if you're a mailbag member, if you're a monthly donor or an annual donor, what would you like us to cover today? And whether we had planned to talk about it or not, it will be there. And so you can send in your feedback and we'll get to as many of them as we can. If we can't get to them on the, the show that you sent it in for, we'll get to it on the very next one or at some point that week. We will be sure to touch on it because you help us, we help you. That's just how it works. And again, we're doing this to make change. We're not doing this to make money. We need to be able to reach as many people as possible. Unfortunately, that requires money in terms of ad spend. It requires money in terms of reaching politicians, uh, you know, good and bad ones, and reaching pundits who are going to come on our show. We're also going to have great guests for you. We've had Larry Sharp on already. We've had Khaliq Rodriguez, a 17-year-old founder of the Black Conservative Movement, on already. We're having Steve Dace from Blaze TV on tomorrow to discuss his new book, truth bombs, and you're going to get access to ask him questions as well. So whether you're familiar with him, you're familiar with his book, or you want to ask him something completely outside the scope of what we're going to talk about, you get access to that as a mailbag donor. Again, that's $5 a month. You can go to our website, EmpireStickAndServeNetwork.com, hit the Donate tab, and send us a monthly or annual donation. If you send an annual donation, you get all of that Plus a $50, uh, I'm sorry, uh, a customized hoodie. So you're going to get an Empire Stick and Server Network hoodie with your name and number on the back, almost like a sports team. We're going to send that out to you and make it for you, just for you, in the size that you want. You can order that straight off our website after that. We'll reach out to you and get your name, number, and all that stuff. And we'll be off to the races. So if you can help support us, do that. The rest of the show is going towards our mailbag folks. So Mike wanted to know about the France Yellow Vest cover-up. So if you're not familiar, there's a, there are yellow vest riots. Citizens are required to wear yellow vests, especially when they're out at night, just to make sure they're not hit by oncoming traffic. And they've been rioting because of a fuel tax that Emmanuel Macron, the president of France, has since rescinded. But they're still pissed off because the globalist policies that he's pushed across have taken more and more money out of their paychecks. They're paying higher and higher and higher taxes, not just in income taxes, but again, on basic things that they need, like fuel And they're they're just trying to push this socialized system on them that they don't want. Any people throughout history that has worked out for any extended period of time, like our country, has been due to the fact that they were minimally invaded by the government. Their rights were protected, they were taxed minimally, and if their taxes were higher than they should have been, it was willingly And unfortunately, Macron took it one step too far, and his people are revolting still to this day. Um, He was looked at, Macron, as one of the next major world leaders. You know, Time magazine and all these big publications were anointing him one of the next future leaders of the world. But he's a globalist. His failed tax policies angered so many people, they're tired of being stolen from. And why is this being hidden? Because, Mike, the media is behind Macron and Angela Merkel and Theresa May and all these other globalist European leaders who have brought nothing but crisis to their countries. In France, it's in the form of taxation and overtaxation, considerable overtaxation. But on top of that, too, they, Germany, the UK, even the Nordic countries, they're having issues with refugees and migrants coming in from the Middle East We're not assimilating to their culture. And assimilation, we can have a discussion all day, which we won't get into, about whether that's something that a migrant or a refugee should or shouldn't do. But they're not only creating their own enclaves, but there are issues in the UK of women being raped by gangs of men uh, from from other countries. There are issues of violence in Germany, whether it's shootings, bombings, uh, breaking, rioting, or just because they don't fit in or because they don't approve our way of life. It's not Sharia law. So there, there's a whole lot of issue going on in Europe that the mainstream media doesn't want to cover because they're crapping on Trump here in the United States about the border wall and about immigration, and their narrative really crumbles. It's already shaky as it is, but their, their narrative really crumbles when you see the result of of just having open borders and mass migration and all these other things. That's what's happening there. They're five to ten years ahead of us in that regard if we continue to go down that route. The president is trying to fix it. And he's getting obviously a lot of opposition by the Democrats in the House and the Senate, and even more so by the mainstream media who are painting him like a bigot like he doesn't like racist. like he doesn't like anybody, when the truth of the matter is he's trying to protect our sovereignty and he's trying to make sure that we only accept the best people. If they want to come here and work hard and make their lives better, that's great. But they have to go through a background check. Which brings me to my next point which you came up with, Mike, and, and it was a very, very good one. So, does Canada have a migrant problem of its own, was the question you asked. Um, so, in in an Atlantic article, so remember, the Atlantic is a very left-wing publication. In an article last year by Tony Keller, I'm going to read you a whole bunch of it, but it's important that you listen to it, because while we're being crapped on by the populace, by the media, and by Democratic politicians... Listen to how Canada handles its issue, but they are having a bit of an issue themselves. So let's start with the issue. So Canada's immigration consensus isn't yet broken, but thanks to Roxham Road, which is an area that connects upstate New York to the Canada border, it's visibly fraying. This past spring, the Quebec government, which had at one point housed arrivals in Montreal's Olympic Stadium, said that it would not support any more refugee claimants and asked the federal government to start sending some of them elsewhere. In Toronto, where some arrivals are being accommodated in college dorms that have to be made ready for students and where the city threatened to close some community centers to make them available for asylum seekers, the mayor has been begging the federal government for more money. And last week, the Ontario Premier, Doug Ford, said that, quote, this mess was 100% the result of the federal government, unquote, so Trudeau should bear the full responsibility for dealing with it. So this is the last line of this article. Americans who romanticize the country to the north, Canada, as a kind of liberal kingdom are missing part of the story. Canada maintains its open-door reputation because it has generally been very selective about whom it allows to approach the door in the first place. So Canada has five barriers, three of which are different oceans and seas that border it. So obviously, unless people come in by boat, they're not really doing that. And in fact, only 10 people last year in 2018 claimed asylum at seaports in Canada so that's a very very infrequent method in which people declare asylum let me read you how people can go about either declaring asylum or becoming legal immigrants in Canada so almost everyone who immigrates to Canada has to first apply from wherever they are overseas, and before they're granted entry, they're subjected to extensive vetting by Canadian authorities. Those who make the cut have to wait months or years for their turn in line before letting it, or before coming in. Oh, I wonder how that sounds familiar. (laughs) Visitors from a long list of countries need to apply in advance for a visa, and if they're coming from a place that has recently sent Canada more than a certain number of asylum applicants over or vacation overstayers, excuse me, that visa may suddenly become difficult to get. And without a visa, the airline won't let you on the plane. So that's very different than it is here. I know from personal experience, when I've been abroad and I've come back, I was never asked to show my my visa, I showed my passport, but that was it. You're not asked about a visa. You're not asked about a, a proof of residence. You just board the plane with your passport and off you go. doesn't matter if you're a United States resident flying back to the U.S. from wherever you are or if you're a resident of the country you're flying from or you're a resident from somewhere else altogether. Doesn't matter. You just have to have a passport and a valid identification and you're allowed entry into the country. Now, you still have to get through customs. But obviously we know that a lot of people get through and they just never show up for their hearing, where they're declaring asylum, and it's become a large mess. Even under the government of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, that bureaucratic wall is coming down. Quite the contrary. In 2012... Canada rejected 18.18% of the more than 1 million foreigners who applied for a visitor's visa. By 2017, the number of visa applicants had climbed to nearly 2 million, and the rejection rate had risen to 26%. In the first three months of 2018, it rose again to 30%. Similarly, 33% of applicants for a student visa were rejected in 2017, and more than 75% of visa applicants from countries such as Somalia, Yemen, Afghanistan, and Syria were turned down. The unspoken underpinning of Canada's otherwise welcoming immigration policy is a giant and assiduously maintained border wall. It has five of them, like I said. Four are geographic, the fifth is bureaucratic. All have been extremely effective, just like the border barriers we have in this country, in sustaining the legitimacy and popularity of Canada's immigration policy. Three of the walls are the dumb luck of geography of geography, the Atlantic Ocean, the Pacific Ocean, and the Arctic Ocean. There's a place where Canada's immigration system isn't working. And like I said, that is where, um, that is where Roxham Road kind of intersects in upstate New York with the Canadian border. So let's go over how one does that. And then let's go over how they can declare asylum and where Canada is now having issue, like I mentioned earlier, housing these people and keeping track of all of them. So someone who tries to cross at the official Canadian border post at Lacolle, Quebec, without the necessary documents and permissions, even someone claiming refugee status, will be returned to the United States. That's because as part of a safe third country agreement, that's the name of the agreement, between the two countries, Canada deems the United States to be a country where a refugee claim will be honestly assessed and fairly adjudicated. The safe third country agreement doesn't apply to unofficial border crossings. Once someone is physically in Canada all they have to do is present themselves to the Canadian authorities and declare that they wish to make a refugee claim. It's an end run around Canada's bureaucratic border wall. According to Canadian and international law, Canada has to give a full hearing to anyone on Canadian soil who claims they are a refugee fleeing persecution. If their refugee claim is accepted, Canada will give them permanent residency and eventually citizenship. However, The process of determining whether someone is or is not a refugee can take years, much like here. While their cases are being adjudicated, well, I'm sorry, here they can be declared a refugee much quicker. However, it does take a long time for them to go through all the processes of becoming a citizen. Anyway, while their cases are being adjudicated, Canada releases the most border crossers into the population, giving them social assistance and free medical care and allowing them to work legally. So it sounds very familiar, again, to how we are here in New York State and what we're looking to do. And the only issue is we're not trying to make these people become American citizens and New York's residents. We're just looking to give them the free stuff without having to show up for the hearings and do all the work. That's a huge, huge difference between what's going on here in our state and then our neighbor to the north where people are crossing illegally once they get around the actual border post there. So what's the moral of the story here? The moral of the story is that Canada has strict immigration policies that turn away a lot of people. And they are lucky that they have a lot of geographic barriers. The problem is people are able to get through their southern border and their policies are starting to backfire on themselves because locales in and around Canada are not able to house all these folks as they're waiting to go through the process of becoming a legal immigrant and eventually a citizen. So they're having similar issues to us. The only difference is they're a little more stringent and they're reliant on us, which is funny because we're not as stringent and we're not as well protected as they are in the forms of physical barriers, both just natural ones like the oceans and uh, some of their border walls. But again, this article from a left-leaning source pointed out that it does work. All these barriers do work. They do deter people from crossing over into there, even though there too you will get free stuff if we are able to get past the border illegally and declare asylum. Their system is backwards, they're dealing with it too, and it'll be interesting to see what happens there. I'm, I'm sure they don't get nearly the same influx of people as we do here, um, but they're not as friendly as this article points out as we would think they would be regarding that. I'm going to cover one more thing really quickly, and that's something that was also asked about by another one of our uh, donors, so, I was asked specifically about the American Sovereignty Restoration Act of 2019, or House Bill H.R. 204. It was introduced by Representative Mike Rogers of Alabama, he's a Republican, and it calls for withdrawal from the U.N., an immediate stoppage of funds to any U.N.-related activity, and removal of U.N. officials from U.S. government buildings. Okay, so it's, it's merely been introduced, and it has not been voted on as of yet. So, it, so the, the uh, mailbag person who mailed in, had asked about whether this had been introduced or not or, or voted on. It has not been voted on as of yet. It's merely been introduced, so it's very early on in the stages. Highly doubt it passes. But the UN is just another globalist entity with no real power. Um, <laughs> this is evidence beautifully. So if you've seen the movie Team America, World Police, where Hans Bricks yells loudly that, I'm going to write a letter from the UN to tell you how mad we are. Um, obviously that doesn't work out, he gets dumped into a uh, a pond of sharks and he gets eaten alive as Kim Jong-il, I believe it was his name, starts yelling at him and it's hilarious. But that's essentially what the UN is. It's a big, globalist, bureaucratic body that there's nothing and no good for anybody. So I don't really care too much if we withdraw from the UN. President Trump, I believe, is actually right in the form that any of these international treaties or groups that we're a part of, we tend to get the short end of the stick. We're expected to put in all the money and the vast majority of the grunt work while everyone else in the world sits back relaxes and enjoys the comforts of being protected by the United States military and United States interests. That has to end. other people have to start towing their own weight even in some of our other trade agreements and I don't I don't disagree with that at all. It makes perfect sense to me. Um, so so again, to answer your question to our donor, yes, there is a bill. It's been proposed multiple times over the years. This is just the latest variation of it. Will it work out or not? Probably not, especially in this climate. You know, until we have majorities in the House and the Senate again, I don't think something like this passes. But I, I agree with the representative who brought this forward to the house and I agree with the bill entirely we don't need to be a part of the UN anymore um, it might have been a good idea in people's eyes when it first was developed but it's turned out to be a giant colossal bureaucratic fail and it does absolutely no good to us or to our citizens so guys if you like this show and you're listening to us on iTunes SoundCloud or Stitcher please subscribe to the show and leave us a five-star review it really helps with the ratings we're trying to attract sponsors as you probably saw or heard throughout this episode also, I mentioned earlier, won't go into the diatribe again, but we're trying to make change here in New York State. 2020 is not that far away. You have more and more morons on the Democratic side declaring for president, and we've got enough of our own to deal with here in this state who are going to be up for re election. We need to vote them out. And not only do we need to vote them out and get the word out about the conservative vote, but we also have to find Good candidates and those are the people that we're going to have on the show so outside of the pundits that we're going to have on we're going to have people like larry sharp and other local statewide candidates who are conducive to our values who want the same thing we do in the state who want to make change who don't want to leave and we're going to bring them to you and as a donor you're going to get access to being able to ask them specific questions based on their policy proposals or anything else how we can get more involved and make change in the meantime before we can really get out and vote in 2020 so if you can consider a donation just go to our website empirestateconservativenetwork.com forward slash donate and you'll be able to leave either a monthly donation of five dollars a month again you get the wristband and mailbag access or fifty dollars for the year you get all that plus a customized empire state conservative network hoodie with your name and number on the back and the size that you want so guys thanks again so much for watching or listening Have a great rest of the day, and Evan and I will be coming at you tomorrow with Blaze TV host Steve Dace. Have a good one.
0: Hey, everybody. It's Evan with Empire State Conservative Network. If you like this episode, please subscribe on iTunes and YouTube and leave us a five-star review. Also, please follow us on social media on Facebook at Empire State Conservatives, on Instagram at GetRedPilledNY, on Twitter at Empire State Cons, on Parlay at Empire State Conservatives. If you'd like to help us improve our shows, you can donate through our website at EmpireStateConservantNetwork.com slash donate. We also have some merchandise that will be coming to you soon from our website. If you'd like to work with us in any capacity, please feel free to email us at getbreadpilled 76 at gmail.com. And as always, don't let fear take your freedom.